2: Hello and welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jessica Shapiro, CMO at LiveRamp, the data collaboration platform for the world's most innovative companies. In this episode, Jessica shares with us how brand and demand go hand in hand, why everything you do should be measured, and the importance of avoiding building up silos within your marketing team. Jessica also talks about how she and her team are combating stagnation through producing simple content and fostering a strong brand strategy. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Qualified. If you're a revenue team that runs your business on Salesforce, Qualified will accelerate your lead generation, pipeline, and ultimately revenue. Learn more at qualified.com.
2: So please enjoy this interview between Jessica Shapiro, CMO at LiveRamp, and your host, Ian Faison.
0: Welcome to Pipeline Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by a special guest. Jessica, how
2: are you?
1: I am good. And I am very honored to be here, Ian. I love your podcast and I love the incredible talent you've had on this podcast. So I'm honored to be amongst the guests.
0: Well, we appreciate it very much. And so today we're going to be talking about, obviously, marketing, pipeline development. We're going to talk about LiveRamp and all the cool stuff that you're doing there. We're going to get into your background. We're going to talk about how demand gen and growth work effectively with the broader marketing team and much more. And today's episode, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Qualified. Qualified is the number one conversational sales and marketing platform for companies revenue teams that use Salesforce. Head on over to Qualified.com to learn how you and start having a smarter, faster conversation with your buyers right there on your website. So let's get started. Jessica, what was your first job in marketing?
1: My first job in marketing, actually, I'll I'll just take you back. I am from Seattle. I went to the East Coast for college. I moved to Washington, D.C. for a job. I graduated with a liberal arts degree. I had no idea what I wanted to do But I knew through my life that I was always curious about people. I was always invested in relationships. And communication and storytelling was something that was important to me. And I was always developing that skill. I moved to the East Coast. I never thought I'd come back to Seattle. It felt like a small town when I left. But then there was a tech boom in Seattle, and everyone was moving to Seattle. So there I went, I came back and I got a temp job in a small startup that I think six months later went under, but the CEO took a liking to me and he said, let me introduce you to our PR firm. I think you'd be a perfect fit for that. I went over to that PR firm and that firm represented a lot of small high tech companies who are in the process of going public. And so that lit my fire for technology, for companies in growth, for telling their stories, and then also connecting that to the financial markets. So that was how I started in marketing.
0: And flash forward to today, tell us what it means to be CMO of LiveRamp.
1: To be, I've been here for about a year and a half. It is a phenomenal job. It's been about a lot of transformation when i came into live ramp though the company has been very successful marketing was not seen as a strategic function that was driving revenue we were doing a lot of things but we weren't we weren't correlating that to the bottom line we weren't correlating that to impact in the industry and my job was to come in and it was really about restructuring the team figuring out what we needed to do so that marketing had a seat at the table and that we were driving revenue so the first thing i did was you know take stock of the talent figure out who we needed to make sure was in more important seats it coincided with some layoffs so there was some change and in the talent, but we really worked on building that demand gen engine and getting our pipes working, getting that waterfall there so that we could really understand what was coming in at the top of the funnel and how was it moving all the way through to the handoff to sales and then to close one. Once we got that infrastructure laid, the next big challenge was, What do we stand for? What is our brand? How are we differentiated? And a lot of work on figuring out how we were gonna tell our story. And I believe that when you figure out what your story is and how it's differentiated and how to tell it at the different phases of the customer journey, and you can apply that to all the channels of demand gen, that's when you start humming.
0: Let's get to our first segment, The Trust Tree.
1: With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of
2: trust. What? I thought we were in the trust tree with, in the nest, are we not?
0: Where you go and feel honest and trusted, you can share those deepest, darkest, pipeline generation secrets. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about LiveRamp. What is the company and who are your customers?
1: Yeah. So LiveRamp is a B2B enterprise SaaS company that focuses on data collaboration. And just to put that into context, companies have first party data. They value that data that customers give them, but the amount of data companies have is limited. And more data is more insight, is a better customer experience and companies are always looking to increase their first party data in a privacy safe way. And so we bring companies together to exchange first-party data so they can drive stronger business and brand value, creating that brand loyalty by more personalized experiences and obviously driving more efficient campaigns. So they're driving more to the bottom line. And if I could just give you one small example, most people, a lot of people have a pet One of our customers is Hills Pet Nutrition, Mm -hmm. and Hills sells a lot of dog food, a lot of pet food, but they don't have a lot of information about their customers because they sell their dog food through a third party, a pet store, a grocery store, et cetera. So Hills needs more data to understand how to more efficiently market. They come together with an Albertsons. They, in a safe way, bring together just the necessary data so that Hills can understand what customers, their customers are doing at Albertsons. And Albertsons can understand what Hills customers are doing in other places. They find out that Hills customers are buying at pet food companies and they're also buying at the grocery store. What does that lead to? Hills can do more marketing to customers about buying at Albertsons so that when they're getting their groceries, they can also get their pet food. That makes it more convenient for them to get what they need. It makes it so that they're having more trips to where they can buy that pet food. And it allows them to target those customers who have the overlap between Albertsons and Hills more efficiently.
0: And what does that buying persona look like? What does that buying committee look like?
1: Yeah. Our primary audience is the marketer, which I have to say as a CMO is, you know, such a joy to be able to talk to and to talk to marketers and to think about what marketers are thinking about. But obviously with every enterprise purchase there is a buying committee and in our buying committee is usually If there's a chief digital officer, wherever the analysts sit, the CIO, and then definitely the CFO, convincing the CFO that the return on the investment in LiveRamp is going to be there. So that's our buying committee.
0: How do you think about your your marketing strategy and and where demand fits within it?
1: Demand is at the core. Again, I, I come back to... Everything we have to do is about driving revenue, and you can't do that without driving demand. It doesn't mean that having a strong brand, getting thought leadership out there isn't important, but there's an end game. And the end game is to take that thought leadership and that brand awareness to get the right people interested in LiveRamp. When I think about how we're organized and what we think about is what is that buyer journey? We know that more and more people are doing their research on their own before ever talking to a human. So we invest a lot in simple content so that they can understand what we do and how what we do can solve their problems and be a benefit. We are very outcomes-focused in our messaging, and we think about serving the right data at the right time in the buyer journey, and then making sure the SDRs are empowered with what we're running in terms of campaigns and messaging. And then there's a strong handoff to our sales team. And then we very meticulously look at that demand waterfall and we say, what's converting the best? Or at what stage of the funnel are we getting stuck? And we need to figure out what's going on there. Sometimes there's that moment where you realize there's a really easy solve to a really big problem where you right. can unlock a lot. Those are always amazing moments.
0: Yeah. Do you have an example of that, uh, your Head?
1: Recently, we found out that when our opportunities were coming through, there was starting to be a log jam. And rather than just, we have amazing SDRs, but just letting the SDR know, making sure that our client executives knew, making sure that the RVPs knew, kind of setting an alert to the entire pursuit team so that the focus could be on that opportunity and it didn't get stuck in someone's queue because. It takes a lot of people to understand how important that opportunity is. Obviously, we use all of the criteria, the scoring, the bant criteria, but still a, C- a a client executive, we call them CLs, a client leader or an RVP may have context that an SDR doesn't know or a marketing doesn't marketing person doesn't know. So we've found that we've been able to accelerate the movement of opportunity through the pipeline beyond opportunity by that alert going out to enough people to make sure eyes are on the prize.
0: You've sort of talked about in the past, this idea of you know brand awareness and demand gen, how do they work hand in hand? I love the term brand gen, like what types of brand ah. gen campaigns do you have? I think that you see a lot more brand gen type initiatives or things that people want to do that are more of of a brand gen play because every brand campaign needs to have a little bit of demand gen in it now. And every demand gen campaign, you want to have a little bit more brand involved in it to not be so transactional. But why is it so important that, that these work hand in hand?
1: Yeah, such a good question. Well, first, I I am a huge believer that a CMO needs to have really strong brand chops and really strong demand gen chops. And yeah. I actually came up through more of a communication brand career and made a purposeful shift over to demand so that I could be kind of equally strong on both sides. When I think about an effective campaign, every demand impression Is also a brand impression. I think of them together. That demand impression has to convey the right information at the right time of the buyer's journey. So I don't think of them as separated. Most of our companies don't have the luxury of just running a brand campaign and then running demand gen campaigns. So I think about they have to be united. I think where We are doing more pure brand is in thought leadership, in PR, speaking, but at the same time, that really bleeds into our demand, because if you're compelling in that thought leadership, you're driving someone to your website, you're getting someone to look at the next piece of content. We're smart enough to know who looked at our brand content, who attended our event, who attended our webinar, and then continue to bring them through the journey. So we have two major campaigns running now, one all about data collaboration, one about media networks, and we think about the intersection of both brand and demand. I am a huge proponent of integrated marketing, and to do integrated marketing well, you have to have all your channels lit up around the same idea. So strong blending of both brand and demand.
0: Yeah, I think it's really silly that certain brand activities get just like labeled as brand. Like it's, you know, you coming on this podcast, obviously, you know, you, you sell to marketers, we have marketers that are listening. If there's a CPG marketer that's trying to think about, you know, data collaboration and and how to access data from anywhere so it can be used everywhere, they should go to live and check it out. Right. Like that's at the end of the day, like how is that anything, but a something that, that in increases demand. It's not like you just have like a positive brand interaction. Like, you know, you send someone, you know, lollipop and they're like, Oh, this is tasty. This brand is slightly more favorable to me. Like, it's just, that's not really how it works in, in B2B. Although, you know, I'm accepting lollipop donations if anyone's <laughs> listening, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just silly that, this new role of sort of like VP of brand content and comms, which is, I think, coming a lot more popular, is they are directly tied to pipeline, whether or not they like carry the number or not, but they are, like all of their activities are doing that. I don't know. I I kind of feel like it's a bit archaic,
1: to be honest. I I 100% agree. And two points on that. One is, I think also the reverse can be true where demand marketers can't just put out a bunch of stuff without having a really clear brand point of view. What is the value to the customer? Where is the white space? Where is the opportunity? I think it's really easy for us to, in the demand world, to be more reactive and to be efficient. You need to be thinking about how are you going to tell a story to bring someone down the funnel? So having that brand story to guide that's really important. And the second thing is, I believe everything has to be measured. Not everything can be measured directly. Obviously, a lot on the demand side can be measured directly, but some things can't, like PR. And in those cases, I believe you have to have proxies so that you can measure the effectiveness. We use a share of voice measurement. You know, how much share of voice do we have versus our competitive set versus who people are are choosing instead of us? And Having that clear number that everyone's working against, I believe, is the way to point a company and a team in the right direction and for that team to also be empowered to see how what they are doing ladders up to where the whole company is going. And when a marketer knows their impact on the entire company, I find my teams are more inspired.
0: Yeah, I I heard from the great Scott Holden very early on in this podcast, and he's like, brand is about getting your message to as many people as you can. And like that inherently drives demand, right? When they hear your message, which your message is why they can improve themselves, save money, save time, save energy, make more money, whatever that message is, it's a brand gen thing, right? It's like that's yep. what's gonna drive someone to, to go fill out a lead form. Any other thoughts on brand, on demand, on structure or marketing strategy?
1: A couple of things. One is coming back to this idea of integrated marketing. I really believe that breaking down silos is is critical. So within my team, I have you know a corporate marketing team that's thinking about PR, thought leadership, analyst relations, internal comms, content development. I have a growth team that's thinking about integrated campaigns. They're paid media, owned, earned, event demand gen. I have marketing ops that really bridges things, but those teams have to work together. So, you know, one specific example, when we run an event and an event, our customer event is our largest pipeline driver. It's it has huge satisfaction. It's been wonderful to see post-COVID that people come back and how much value you can drive in an event. But it really requires our growth team to be thinking about, You know, the numbers, like how many people can we accommodate and what's it going to look like? And how are we going to deliver the most value with the space that we have? But then they have to partner so closely with our content team to say, who are the speakers we need to get on stage? What is the content that we get on stage? And so I believe one of my philosophies is that making sure you don't build up silos within your own marketing team leads to the best marketing. The interdependencies are key. I think second, when I had my first marketing leadership role, when I was running the whole marketing team. My president said to me, when you walk into the boardroom, you are head of marketing and you are an executive of this company. You wear two different hats. And that was a big aha for me. And realizing that my job is leading and empowering my marketing team, but a big part of my job is being super close to our head of sales, our head of product, our, our you know, the other leaders in the company so that we are in lockstep, particularly with a sales organization. And so as, as I'm asking my team to break down silos, I'm working to break down those silos at that leadership level. And I think we've been able to move more quickly because there is a strong camaraderie and there's a strong understanding that we have the same goals. And when you come back to Demand Gen and about data and the power of data, the way those relationships have become strong is not just the human nature of building a relationship, but also being able to prove it with the data. Let me show you what we're delivering for that is helping your team. That's what builds strong relationships. So those are some of the lessons that I've learned in managing teams that are, are coming to play here at LiveRamp.
0: All right, let's get to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about
2: sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game.
0: This is where you open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. What are your three channels or tactics that are your most uncuttable budget items?
1: I've thought about this a lot because I've listened (laughs) to your podcast and I started with a differentiated brand and understanding that buyer's journey. It's, It's not a channel or a tactic, but it is everything. If you do not get the whole company singing off the same page, it's very hard to make a difference. So for me coming in, it was taking that time to do the rigorous research, talk to customers, get alignment with our leadership, get a strong brand story, train our marketing, build the marketing materials, and then train our sellers to use those same stories as they are talking to their customers. So having the whole organization moving together, we we revealed our brand platform at our major customer event, Ramp Up, last February. And it was this incredible organizing principle around data collaboration. And so my not cut is strong brand strategy. And I believe a strong brand strategy is not stagnant. It has to like live and breathe and grow and everyone has to continue to be aligned and new people come into the organization and they need to be trained and feel part of that. So that's number one.
0: It's so great. And it's so true. It's like you spend all this time to come up with all these different things. You do research, you talk to people, you talk to customers, you talk to prospects, you craft and you craft. And it's like, if the sales folks don't know the Message If the rest of the employees don't know the message, then it, you know what was it all worth? I love that
1: absolutely. It's so often, and I've experienced it, and it's lessons learned the hard way. But yeah, you cannot have it sit in a PowerPoint. So the second is ABM, and I know ABM is such a hot thing right now. But we think about ABM as one-to-one, one-to-few, and one-to-many. So when you think about that integrated campaign, I even heard you say on another podcast, like, it's a little bit antiquated. And I think the new version of the integrated campaign is the ABM model. And it's not that you don't have all the pieces you need in an integrated campaign, but it's how you're serving it up, how you're stratifying your customers and clustering them. So obviously starting with your highest priority customers and using the assets for those campaigns to be very one-to-one, then kind of stepping back and saying, okay, well, can we cluster a few and get some traction because they're all in the same industry, they're all in automotive or they're all in healthcare? And can we talk to them in a really personalized way? And then one-to-many where we might be casting a broader net, all with the goal of like getting them into a one-to-few type of ABM campaign.
0: I love that. I had an experience earlier today where I was on on a call with two of our leaders, and we were sort of having this problem that we've been trying to solve And one of them was like, hey, have we ever thought about using this tool? And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. No, I hadn't, but we should probably look into that. We got off the call. And then on Slack, 20 minutes later, a different person in the company tagged me and those leaders and a few other people and was like, have we ever thought about this tool? And I was like, dang, I don't know. I don't know like I if,
1: love that. Right.
0: I'm like, I don't know if they're running ABM campaigns like our company. I don't know like what they're doing. But the fact that within within like eighteen minutes both people had this like epiphany, one in a meeting and one on Slack. You're like, this is what ABM is, right? It's like, yeah, like this is why multi-threading is important. This is why like all this stuff this is why going to the end user and to leaders makes sense. Because like one came from a leader, one came from end user. Like it's just that stuff is like that is abm in a nutshell to me and you know we're a small we're like you know an smb so i doubt that it probably was necessarily doing that but but who knows right like who knows
1: and also just have that kind of idea in your head around like that's the goal of abm like if we can kind of think about like what it should feel like in the end it's it's inspiring to work on it to to get there yeah. And I, I love when we can kind of surround a customer and then I can actually go in and talk to that CMO. You know, that's a, I'm part of the campaign because we target CMOs and marketers and and when I can step into an ABM and be another dimension, another channel, that's powerful.
0: I'm curious like how do you think about those other personas that you're talking about getting them on board? You know, getting yeah. getting the the chief buyer, the CMO, on board to you know improve their data collaboration is is one thing, but then getting the CIO and the CFO is a is an entirely different proposition.
1: Yeah, it, it's a great question. Actually, we've been talking about this recently because you know, obviously, resources are limited. So you know, to To do all of your campaigns in triplicate and to buy in triplicate to target all those personas is not realistic for most companies. It's not realistic for us. So the way we have approached it is to squarely go after the CMO, but to create content to help that CMO talk to the CDO or the CIO or the CFO. So empower them to be that champion and then once we move it into we're really talking we're we're really getting into deep into the selling cycle that's when we can bring some SMEs from our company in to engage with those personas but for the top to mid funnel it's it's been about choices and it's been about Let's go after that CMO, but let's think more broadly. What does that CMO need to accomplish? They don't just need to accomplish driving more revenue with the media budget they have or increasing their first-party data so they can deliver more personalized experiences. They also need to be able to talk to their peers about why this is so important for the business.
0: I love that because, you know, so often sort of like sales enablement get, gets like chucked in, in one sort of bucket. Like who owns that? Is it, is it, you know, marketing? What part of marketing, et cetera, et cetera? And I think that's such a great point that like, especially in today's, you know, buying climate where convincing that CIO and that CFO are way harder than they were two years ago, especially in tech, that having those resources for them to say like, hey, I know this is going to be pushing a massive rock uphill for y'all. That's probably going to take six months, but here's the resources that you have when you go meet with the CIO and the CFO and everything. I love that. That's great.
1: Yeah. And it engenders an attachment with that CMO. Like we're in this with you. We realize what you're about to go do. We're going to go do this with you. We're here to support you.
0: Okay. And what's your third uncuttable?
1: Customer testimonials. So often it's just marketing speak. And we have found that Having our customers tell our story, having our customers talk about how their business is transformed because they worked with LiveRamp is the best marketing we could ever do. And one thing, we have this customer conference and we spend a lot more time, you know, our customers are on stage talking, but how do we capture that in video and get that on social and get that in webinars and Get our customers to feel like we're actually building their career and their profile because we want them to be in our webinars, but they're telling our story. so I think it's about really understanding the power that our customers have and, and other companies really want to hear the real scoop from companies that look like them.
0: I wish I could show you our our q three marketing plan because I would show you that. Two of the points you just listed are literally on there, which is the, the, the first one is like, you know, how we're, how we're doing ABM and how we're thinking about like sales enablement as part of that. And then customer stories, but like that, that's the sort of stuff that I think like there's so many ways that you can do it now and you need to be thinking of all the different ways that you're doing it. Not just the premium video on your website, but all those other ways.
1: I I absolutely agree. It can actually be a light lift for the customer because you get the right material and then you just slice it a ton of different ways. And making that just such a valuable asset go far is is important. And that's worked well for us.
0: Okay. Any other thoughts on uncuttable budget items or maybe something that's your most cuttable budget item, something that that you're not going to be investing in?
1: You know, I actually just had this conversation with my team. <laughs> I really fundamentally believe in the power of analyst relations. And I think if you can get into a Gartner magic quadrant or a Forrester wave, like there's so much power in that. We have not historically invested a lot in analyst relations. We have subscriptions, but we have not been working on establishing the category. And I came in and I said, we are going to do this. But the reality is I don't have the budget right now to hire the senior person to make that happen. So I have made a conscious decision that for the next six months, we're not going to do analyst relations. I want to do it. I see the value, but I think as marketers, as leaders, we have to do that thinking to say, Where am I just dabbling and where can I really make an impact? And even some of those things like are important things. Analyst relations is really important, but I just can't do what I need to do to get a magic quadrant. So I'm going to let that go so we can generate more revenue and I can have a bigger, better business case when we come into the next fiscal year to make the case to hire that person to go after analyst relations.
0: How do you view your website?
1: How do we view our website? We are overhauling our website right now. And that is because our website needs to be our front door, high conversion. These hand raisers, they got to move fast. When they come to our website, they got to find what they need to find quickly. They need to get to a person quickly. So we are big believers in Drift. Drift has been a great tool for us. And we we did our brand overhaul to make things more simplistic, to talk in more plain language, to help people find what they need to find faster in terms of words. But we haven't yet gotten that onto our website. So we're getting close to launching that. And we will, like crazy, be A-B testing, analyzing it. I think that our website is so critical since, you know, the latest data, 86% of people do their research before ever talking to a human. So our website needs to, like, function as our sales force without a person living on it. And so our our website is key. And that's a big investment area.
0: All right, let's get to our... Next segment, the dust-up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble.
2: You may have heard that there was a dust-up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly because we've got punches and kicks.
0: Where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Jessica, have you had a memorable dust-up in your career?
1: Yeah, I I think that a dust-up I've had a couple of times as a desktop, most CMOs have had at some point, which is show me the money or show me the results. Why do you need to spend so much and what is it getting me? I think we have better tools now to make those arguments, but even five years ago, it was harder. So I remember when I was at SAP Concur and we were we were transitioning from We had been bought, Concur had been bought by SAP. We were transitioning in. I had to make the case for our budget. And it was very hard to, through our attribution models, to to prove the case for the need for marketing. And there we were developing campaigns and I decided that we were going to go completely dark on our marketing. I think it was a four month period. And then we lit up all of our channels. And I do believe that the most effective marketing is when you have layered your message in every possible channel, what people are speaking about, what's on your website, what your demand gen is, what your PR is. So we went from zero to lighting it all up and then measuring that both in terms of pipeline, and brand awareness. And the results were so powerful that I was able to secure my budget.
0: I love it. That's awesome. Okay, let's get to our final segment. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like how Qualify.com helps companies generate pipeline quickly. Tap in your greatest asset, your website, to identify your most valuable visitors and instantly start sales conversations. Quick and easy, just like these questions, go to qualified.com to learn more. Jessica, quick hits, are you ready? Yes. Number one, what's a hidden talent or skill that's not on your resume?
1: I can stand on my head for a really long time. I wish I could say I could stand on my arms, that is just not happening, but I can stand on my head for a really long time.
0: Do you have a favorite non-marketing hobby that indirectly makes you a better marketer?
1: I really love to read fiction. I love historical fiction. I just finished reading Hello, Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. And I think that letting your brain wander and, and be a bit free from business books and what you have to do in your day... Is a generator of ideas. And for me, as I kind of started by saying, like, how did I get into marketing? I have this curiosity. And that's what led me down that path. And it's so easy once you're in an organization and you have a big job and you have a family to have your curiosity go to the fall to the wayside. And I think reading helps me kind of tap back into that curiosity, which leads to good marketing.
0: If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing?
1: If I weren't in marketing, I would own a local luxury women's consignment shop.
0: Ooh, fun.
1: I, I really believe that beautiful things have multiple lives. And I love when I see someone love something and pass it on so it can have another life. I think there's a huge environmental story there. I think that there's a just extending the life of a beautiful thing is wonderful, but more than that, we have a shop in Seattle that I love, and when I go in, I feel a community there's I always run into someone I know the the people who run it just know everyone. they're introducing me to someone else. I meet another marketer, I meet another something I've found resources for lots of things by just being there. And so I think my love of relationships, my love of fashion, my curiosity, I think I would love to own a shop like that.
0: That's so fun. Final question here. What piece of advice would you give to a first-time CMO who's trying to figure out their marketing strategy?
1: First-time CMO, build a good network around you. That doesn't just include people in your company, but people outside where you can ask the dumb questions. You can feel like you're not alone because you're not alone. Understand the data. The data is power. Invest the time in understanding your waterfall. Be the boss at the table when it comes to knowing how your marketing organization works and empower your team. If you're a first-time CMO, you're find those find those stars and leverage them and make them bigger stars. I think cultivating talent is a huge role of a CMO. And if I were a new CMO and I, you know, started this a year and a half ago, it's finding those tremendous people who who make everyone better.
0: Jessica, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show for our listeners. Go to live check them out. Obviously, if you're in marketing you should definitely go check them out, liveramp.com. Just got any final thoughts, anything to plug?
1: Ian, I just say it's been such a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you. And I, I love the podcast. I feel like I'm always learning and I look forward to connecting in the future. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And we appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks again to our friends at qualified.com conversational sales and marketing platform that transforms the way b2b companies sell go to qualified.com to learn more